Right, so if you would turn uh, to the book of James, we have completed our look through Matthew and uh, instances uh, or examples of prayer in Matthew. And uh, so I thought I would uh, turn our attention to James. Um, He is, obviously it's a much uh, shorter book, only five chapters compared to 28 in Matthew. Uh, So not as much material here, but um, there are some important uh, passages on prayer that, um, you know, just to remind us of. Uh, The first one here in chapter one is one that we have considered in our adult Sunday school class uh, not that long ago. Um, So I am not going to take a lot of time with it, but Uh, Not everyone uh, here tonight is in that class, so um, we will address it. Um, So James is writing um, to Jewish people, primarily Jewish believers, uh, because he refers to them as he's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And um, again, just a tiny bit of background um, The James, that is the human author of this epistle, is not the brother of John. Okay, so you have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that were numbered among the 12 apostles. Uh, This is not written by that James. That James was put to death by Herod. uh, uh, The record is in Acts chapter 12, so that's fairly early on um, in the life of the church. Uh, So this James, we understand to be uh, the James who is mentioned in Acts chapter 15, among other places, as uh, one of the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. And we would take him to be um, a half-brother of the Lord Jesus, uh, similar to Jude. Jude uh, was also a half-brother of the Lord Jesus, meaning um, Mary and Joseph were their parents, Uh, But, of course, with Jesus, only uh, Mary was his earthly parent, and she uh, conceived um, miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So this is the James uh, who is the author of this. And given his um, prominent role in the church at Jerusalem, uh, it makes sense uh, that he is writing primarily to uh, Jewish believers. Now, we as Gentiles certainly can benefit from uh, this epistle, obviously, Uh, so we ought not make too much of that. Um, But he does uh, draw on a couple of examples from the Old Testament that would be particularly uh, powerful with uh, a Jewish audience uh, later in the book. So as he writes to them, He does note that they are scattered abroad. And, uh, of course, um, the the, uh, book of Acts does record uh, the scattering abroad of Jewish believers uh, in uh, connection with the persecution uh, that was happening in Jerusalem, though the apostles did stay in the city, and obviously there were some believers that stayed. Um, So it's interesting that his opening word is, my brethren, verse 2, counted all joy 
when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying or testing of your faith works endurance. But let patience or endurance have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Okay, so it's it's very uh, significant that here we have uh, some instruction related to our uh, growing in our spiritual maturity. Uh, this reference to being perfect and entire uh, does not mean uh, sinless perfection. Um, that is not something that the Bible anywhere teaches is within our reach until we see the Lord. So when we see him, then we'll be like him. So as soon as we exit this life, uh, then we're done with sin. Then uh, we are perfect in righteousness. And Or uh, should the Lord return, and so we meet him in the air, uh, we instantly, uh, this corruption puts on incorruption and so on. So until that point, our progress in Christ-likeness, our progress toward perfection is something that we are very much encouraged to take part in and to embrace and to uh, really step forward, though recognizing that we won't be perfect, perfect until we see the Lord. So it, it is um, what he is telling us here, though, is something that is echoed in other uh, passages of scripture, this idea of being complete or perfect. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul writes about the ministry of God's uh, gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, and uh, their ministry to the church is for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, the edifying of the saints until we all come unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and so on. And so what's in that passage, it is the ministry of a local church, your participation in that ministry, uh, benefiting from uh, the leadership that God has given, but also Ephesians 4 talks about that which every joint supplies. Uh, so that participates in our um, becoming spiritually mature. The perfection that we're talking about here is the idea of, you know, I'm an adult now as opposed to a child. And so there's this maturing that is taking place. So the church is given a role in that. And in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3, we have Paul testifying uh, to the use of scripture, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, as we've noted also in our adult Sunday school class, for um, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the role of the word of God is highlighted in connection with moving us towards spiritual maturity. So you've got the, the church 
and its ministry. Uh, you've got the Word of God identified, and of course, much of the church's ministry is with the Word of God, obviously. Uh, those are identified as participating in this spiritual maturity. And in James here, we have another thing that is identified with our progressing in spiritual maturity, and that is the testing of our faith. And our faith is tested by many things. Um, You know, really, you know, there are so many aspects to life that really... You know, as we just live through life, we find that our faith is being tested again and again and again. Uh, Sometimes it's temptation to sin. So in other words, to um, indulge the lusts of our flesh or of our mind. And so that is a testing of our faith. Are we going to believe God's word that says, you sow to the flesh, you head that way? You're going to reap corruption. So instead, so does the Spirit reap life everlasting. So are we going to believe the Word of God when we're faced with temptation to sin or not? It is a testing of faith. Right? Um, Hebrews chapter 3 talks about um, departing from the living God uh, with an evil heart of unbelief. So, again, testing of faith, and uh, so we are to exhort one another daily and so on. Um, So temptation to sin is a test of faith. Uh, Difficult circumstances, obviously, are a test of faith as well. Um, Suffering for the cause of Christ, where the difficulty is directly connected with Um, your profession of faith in Christ. Uh, That certainly is a testing of faith. So, um, and that's just a quick uh, summary, but there's so much uh, about the living of life, uh, physical difficulties and, and, uh, you know, financial difficulties and other circumstances. All of that uh, ends up testing our faith. And so in it all, are we going to look to the counsel of God's word? Are we going to trust the Lord in it? Are we going to stay the course of what we know to be right according to the word of God? Or will we let the pressure of the situation uh, turn us aside um, to uh, a path of disobedience? Um, Or some... Even um, through the the presence of difficulty, discard their profession of faith. Uh, now, we would believe that should that happen, that's evidence that there was no true faith. But it would be similar to that second kind of soil that the Lord Jesus mentioned in the parable of the sower. This seed that fell on stony ground, it appears, right? it springs up briefly. Uh, There's even mention of they believe, but there's no root. Uh, 
And when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, uh, they fall away. Um, so that would be obviously an extreme case. But even believing people, true children of God, in the testing of our faith, we can uh, stumble, uh, we can be turned aside, we can become discouraged um, and despairing and so on. So we are encouraged here to recognize that there is a profitable spiritual work that God intends to take place in our lives when we are tested, when our faith is tested. And so if we can believe the Bible, because it tells us this, then we can even come to the place where, as he says in verse 2, we can count it all joy when we find ourselves in those hard circumstances or in those difficult places. And again, it's not that the, that the difficulty is joyful, but it's the, the spiritual profit that arises in the midst of the difficulty that is a cause of joy. Right? And that is what James is directing us to. It's in that context of how are you thinking about the testings of your faith? It's in that context then that we have this teaching about prayer that begins in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. And so here we have uh, this very important counsel, and it has to do with prayer. Uh, it, it's focused on a particular subject of prayer, and that is this asking for wisdom, asking God for wisdom. And oftentimes, in those difficult circumstances of life, that's especially where we need wisdom. You may recall, those of you that were here on Sunday morning, that when we were preaching uh, through Romans 8, and we were talking about the Spirit's intercession, the passage in Romans 8 makes the point that when we don't even know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit makes intercession for us. And so in those hard circumstances where we, where we don't know even what to ask for, we are encouraged to know that God's Spirit is interceding and His interceding is in accordance with the will of God. And so that is uh, for our encouragement. Here, here we are directed to some content for our praying and what we're asking for ourselves, even when we don't know, you know, right or left in those circumstances, and that is to ask for wisdom. And so here, uh, that is very much encouraged. We are promised that God is generous in the giving of wisdom. 
We are promised that he will not chide us or upbraid us or rebuke us. What you hear again, you know, asking for wisdom yet again. You know, God will never do that. Right? He, he is more than happy to give wisdom to us. Um, and, you know, for proof, do you remember when God gave Solomon a blank check? Do you remember that? He comes to Solomon at night, in a vision at night, and he says, ask whatever you want. Blank check. Ask whatever you want. Right? And from the the dialogue that God, or what God speaks, what follows, he he would have anticipated the possibility of Solomon asking for wealth, or Solomon asking for a long life, or whatever. But instead, Solomon asked for wisdom, which actually turns out was pretty wise. You know what I'm saying? Very interesting. It was, he's, he's de- even in his request on that occasion, he's, a- he's demonstrating uh, some wisdom, that he asked for wisdom. Uh, but my point is, on that occasion, you know, we hear the Lord very highly commending this man because he asked for wisdom. And in fact, the Lord is so pleased that he says, because you asked for this, I'm going to give you not only wisdom, but... And then he goes on and tells the other things that he's going to give him. So again, I'm not saying that to say, just ask for wisdom and you're going to have all of those other things too. You know, the Lord has more wisdom than that, um, you know, to, uh, to give us uh, sort of a, if we're attempting a back door for some of these other things, uh, the Lord knows better. But what I, I think what that surely uh, demonstrates is that God was very, very pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. And that is supporting what James is telling us here, that he gives liberally and he will not upbraid. And, uh, and then the last phrase of verse 5, it shall be given him. But there is this one qualification that follows in verse 6. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Um, And then there's uh, some example following. He that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And um, again, we've uh, gone over this in the past here. But uh, the idea is that What we are to believe is, first of all, the promise that he'll give wisdom, right? That's what immediately preceded in verse 5. But we are also to believe that the Lord's direction, the wisdom that he does give, that that is the best thing and that that is the right path, right? So you say, okay, I need wisdom, I'm facing this decision and this circumstance and it's testing my faith and I don't really know which way to go. Well, Lord, would you please give me wisdom? Well, he will give you wisdom 
And part of what he's interested in is you being of a mind that you are you are um, dead set on following him. You're not asking for wisdom and asking for his direction so that you can make up your mind whether you're going to do it or not. That's the double-minded man, right? He's he's not single-minded. He's not, you know, got eye on God, following him. You know, he's still casting about, you know, what direction he's going to go. Uh, so the idea is that we would have in our hearts uh, this purposing of mind to follow the Lord and to do it his way. You know, so we're asking for wisdom. Our faith is being tested. We want the counsel of God in his word and we will do it. Right? We are committing to do it. That's the idea. Um, it's interesting that in Ephesians 4, Again, that passage talking about um, spiritual maturity or not, uh, he, uh, the Holy Spirit describes it this way. Let's turn back there just for a minute. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 11 is where it, he gave some apostles and some prophets and so on. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So what's contrasted with spiritual maturity is this conduct of children, and they're driven about, right? With the, uh, how is that put again? Uh, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So in James, he's talking about the double-minded man uh, being like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So there's that's a mark, not of spiritual maturity, but of spiritual immaturity. You know, uh, a spiritually immature person is still figuring out what they want to be when they grow up. Right? You know, they're they're. Focus is not on following the Lord, right? And making that the absolute priority. Uh, so there's this instability there. So that's part of then the description that is given to us in this uh, qualification that when we ask for wisdom, we need to ask in faith. Uh, so it's it's a believing God. God will give what we're asking for. He'll give wisdom. But it's also a believing that God 
and his counsel is what I'm following, right? That's what I'm going to do, a commitment to that. Again, none of us do this perfectly. Uh, it's still a work in progress, and the Lord knows that, so our faith is going to be tested again, right? And it'll be tested again, and it'll be tested again. Uh, so the Lord, in, in doing so, again, is not attempting to overthrow or destroy. He is attempting to build up and strengthen. And by his grace, that's exactly what will happen. So this request for wisdom is given an interesting context in this whole situation of the testing and trying of our faith. Uh, just uh, later, in back in James chapter 1, verse 12, we have this uh, reminder. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Folks, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, that the person who's, who's not double-minded is the person whose love for the Lord is what's driving him forward. Right? His focus is on the Lord. He is giving the Lord that right place. And of course, that's the first of all the commandments is that we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that will help us endure temptation. Our love for the Lord. Uh, our, our commitment to him. Our putting him as the chief priority. That will help us endure temptation. And the Lord encourages us that, that that's the way of blessing. Uh, and the blessing comes by his giving of wisdom. That's part of the blessing, right? That he would give wisdom so that he w our steps would be directed. And then, of course, just the, the perseverance uh, through the time of testing. And so the Lord is trying to encourage our hearts uh, even as he knows uh, what life is like for us here, uh, he knows the kinds of things that come our way. Uh, he is trying to encourage us to follow him and uh, to know that crown of life awaits. Right? Uh, when we endure temptation, when it does not derail us, when it does not overthrow us, and a part of what will help us is that prayer for wisdom uh, with a single-minded uh, purpose of following the Lord.